Welcome to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered with Perry Clark. This program looks at mental health from unique perspectives and shows you how to manage your life by finding the knots that help you and stay away from the ones that could be a disadvantage. Now, here is your host, Perry Clark. Hello, all. Welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist here with you, and we're going to have another one of our blurred outs, or I'm going to maybe start calling this Thera blurting out, <laughs> as I've got back here with me a uh, returning favorite, Mercedes Samudio. But before we even get into what we're going to be Thera blurting out on, I want to remind everyone that this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only, and it does not constitute working with mental health providers. Please seek out one in your area to work on your unique issues. So, as I said, I'm going to give you a slightly abbreviated uh, intro for Mercedes because we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about. And Mercedes is a licensed clinical social worker and a best-selling author, international speaker, and visionary entrepreneur. She is, uh, runs a particular program called Shameproof Parenting and Parenting Philosophies to reduce the shame parents experience as they raise healthy children. She's also trauma-informed in multiple modalities, including brain spotting, which is part of how we met. And outside of that, she spends time in Southern California writing, working on her, her own book and her training program. And I know she's also been getting a, a, a doctorate program, if I remember correctly, with her cat, her two furry babies, with, or sorry, three furry babies, which is a two cats and dog and her lovely partner. And you can find more of their her work at Shameproof Parenting. So hello, Mercedes. Hey, Perry. Thank you. I love talking here with you. It's so fun. Well, it's also a delightful chance to be able to talk about some of these things. And like I said, blurting out or Thera blurting out. I think you should trademark that. Like, that's actually a pretty cool idea. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'll I'll start looking into that in my copious amounts of other time. (laughs) But yeah, we'll look at that. And who knows? That may be a future spinoff. If you're ever interested in hosting a podcast, <laughs> but we're here today to talk about probably one of those little snoozer sleepers that didn't get the same big blockbuster as our last two sessions, which were Wakanda Forever and Into the Sp- Across the Spider Verse. But we're talking about something that those of you who have gotten Netflix, we're here to talk about. They cloned Tyrone. Yes, exactly. That movie was crazy. It was good, though. It was, like, so good. It's exactly, like, what I was looking for as a kid. So I'm excited to dive into this. For oh, sure. please, please start us. Okay. Okay. So what my initial take on it when I watched it was that this was exactly the type of, like, genre stuff that I just love mm-hmm. that I got when I was a kid and like Batman, the, the animated series and Hercules and like mm-hmm. even some of the horror stuff and like Buffy. Right. Mm-hmm. But it was never an all black cast. Number one, mm-hmm. it was never in a space like my neighborhood or around people that I understood. Right. I always had to understand other people's narratives and other mm-hmm. people's perspectives. And I always could But with that secret hope that like one day we could do that exact same type of sci-fi, horror, genre, genre kind of bending narrative, but 
with my identity at the forefront of it. Mm-hmm. And, and so seeing adds, this movie was that. Yeah. And adding and also the aspect that they put in comedy too, because you got some couple of uh, comedy actors known in here. Because as yes. I was just looking at the cast list, I didn't even realize David Allen Greer was in there too. As the uh, pastor. Mm-hmm. And yeah, after I looked at the pictures, I was like, okay, where was he in the set? Oh, he was that character. Because he yeah. had more hair between yeah. what's in the picture and such. But <laughs> that aspect of that blend of, of those aspects, which I know sometimes I think only of the times I see stuff like that is in like anime. Exactly. Exactly. And it's usually not with Black or African-American characters at the forefront. Like if we're there, we're usually in the the background or we're like Mm. side characters or Mm -hmm. we're very disposable characters. Mm -hmm. And I love that that's kind of even highlighted in, you know, uh, John Boyega's character where it's like he's disposable, Mm -hmm. but like, you know, he's still there and he's still like really like aware of what's happening to him. And especially, well, we don't want to give too much away if you haven't watched it. But yeah, there's a certain aspect of, in the name, cloning is involved. Multiple clones are involved. And I think it also hits on that narrative that even at this level, you don't have to be, you know, the high socioeconomic black character to be able to have access to this. Yes. Yes. And I love that aspect that I feel like Black Panther really opened the door to this Mm. idea that Black people are not this monolithic stereotype. And I love that I'm having this conversation with you because just by chance, I actually watched Black Panther this morning because that's just (laughs) what I do. I wake up and I'm like, what Marvel movie will I put on today? And I put that on and then I got my alert around like 1030 that this was happening. I was like, Mm. That's so funny to me that I just decided this morning to watch Black Panther. And here we are talking about another, you know, sci-fi genre movie with an all-black cast. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. We're talking about the, the variety mm-hmm. that we have in our culture that we're not all one way. We don't look all one way. We don't all have the same interest, right? And so I think they clone Tyrone allows for that, where it's like even in this idea that there are clones and tropes and stereotypes, where's mm-hmm. the depth? What do we each look like? Like, what does this really look like? And so in a way, I feel like Black Panther really kind of busted the door open to us being able to really see how important it is to have narratives like this. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And with those various characters, even what the characters are and archetypes they're all playing. So from John Boyega's character, who is, yeah, is, is one of the people getting cloned, uh, but he's also the narrative, the archetype of the drug dealer. Yes, yes. And then we have Jamie Foxx, who's playing, again, the archetype of the pimp. Right. And then we have, uh, and I hate to, I don't want to screw up her name, but uh, Parrish, T. Parrish, yes. uh, is playing Yo-Yo, the the hooker yes. or prostitute yes. on the or, you know so in this age the sex worker yes yes and i think it's an interesting thing that i actually noted uh in someone else's post a lot of you know chatter on the internet about this in black twitter and like this the black internet mm-hmm. kind of space but how if you pay attention to all of the sex workers they're all fully dressed 
Mm-hmm. All of them. None of them are have any skin showing, or if they do, it's kind of part of just their outfit. But they're mm-hmm. all fully dressed. The only thing that is kind of signaling their profession or their archetype is that everything is very flamboyant. They're mm-hmm. on the street, right? They seem to be walking up and down the street at different points of the time. They have all the. They kind of are the ears and the eyes mm-hmm. and the mouth of the neighborhood. And so all of these archetypes they get to play while being dressed in a way that completely demystifies what it looks like to be that character. Mm-hmm. And that was something I picked up immediately because I grew up in that neighborhood. I know what that archetype looks like and how they normally are dressed by the department, or, you know, the, the fashion department. I know how they normally mm-hmm. are portrayed. And so to see all of them, not just, uh, if I want to say it's Tiana, 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 yeah. Paris, Paris um, but you're right. Parish, right? Yeah. Um, we see that every single one of these women is a sex worker, is doing kind of this commentary on their archetype, but they're all fully mm-hmm. dressed. And so it completely like gets you to think, huh, what and how do I then know that this person is playing this archetype? What stereotypes am I relying on to know that this person is playing this archetype? And in that, you have to then pay attention to what we just said. John Boyega is playing this character. Jamie Foxx is playing this character, right? T. Parrish is playing this character. And you just get to this point where you're like, well, how do I know that? Mm-hmm. What stereotypes am I relying on? What archetypes am I relying on? That is what I'm loving about this movie. Like people are going to start having discussions about that. Well, how do you know he's the pimp? How do you know she's the sex worker? How do you know he's the drug dealer? Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and the fact that these are actually the heroes of the story. Yeah, right. and the, but they yeah. stumble upon everything, right? Mm-hmm. Especially because, because yeah, well, especially because right. if we were doing any other narrative, then it's like, oh, it's not these people that are supposed, supposed to be the heroes in the story. It's supposed to be, you know, the good churchgoer or the one who's, you know, down and out trying to take care of their family and do all the right things, the sort of virtue signal signaling. Yeah, that's a great observation too, right? That who do we normally want to see as the hero, right? Because then we're looking at what is the archetype, right? Mm -hmm. What is a hero? How do we know what a hero is? Um, If I can just parallel, because again, I just Mm -hmm. watched Black Panther. How do we know he's the hero? Well, for me, it's this one moment where in the ancestral plane, after he realizes who Killmonger is and how Killmonger has access to Wakanda, he's in mm. the ancestral plane really blaming, not blaming, but really saying, hey, you all messed up. By leaving him, we created someone who could really destroy what we've created. I have to go back. I cannot die. I cannot just rest here while this person continues to show up in Wakanda. Mm-hmm. Right? It's his hero moment. Right? He decides, I'm not just going to rest. I'm not going to say I'm over it. Well, that hero is a king of Wakanda. He's a prince. He's a you know he's all the hero mm-hmm. things. So I love that in they clone Tyrone, all three of them are the same things. Right? They're very aware of their neighborhood they care about their neighborhood right they don't want these things to continue once they realize they're part of it they try to really understand how that's happened so they're heroes right Mm -hmm. once they become aware of the kind of negative stuff going on even once they become aware that they're a part of it 
Then they're mm-hmm. like, what can we do? How can we support our community in getting this out of our community? It's the same which thing is, Black Panther does. <laughs> right? yeah, and which is a significant part of the idea of the hero's journey. Although I'm going right. to ask that we consider switching some language. Instead of the, and this goes back to Black Panther, with instead of the aspect of blaming them, let's talk about it from the place of accountability. I like it. Because Thank we you. We really, really need to start encouraging the idea that what's happening and the actions and consequences we're seeing are tied with accountability. Thank and you. I agree with that. There's a lot of ways where, and I think even some of the other subtexts in this is talking about accountability through punishment as opposed to accountability through love. Mm, like restorative justice. That's another way to look at it. But it's that standpoint that accountability is also something fundamentally we're supposed to be teaching all of our kids yeah. to have yeah. to make this world a better place. And we've loved, we have so much about that yeah. not holding accountability, which in some ways, when we get um, Keith Sutherland's character makes their appearance mm. Mm. and he gives the sort of here is the how the um star wars wall crawl of how this all came to be about oh the rich ones came in they they didn't like how the experiment going and they up and left leaving us here with this state of the u.s yes and the accountability is how do you actually got to fix the things that you broke? You've actually got to fix and address the things that you, you created, which part of, again, the bigger narrative that's going on that our heroes become part of uh, developing is that they're realizing there is a conspiracy going on, which is perfectly set in the late 70s, 80s uh, periods of movies and scare movies that came out. Uh, right. with the fears of like big government. The one that's popping to mind right now is the movie Barracuda, which was I know is a B-rate movie, but still, there's yeah. issues there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there was one uh, that I'm thinking of that I actually recently watched over the pandemic. Mm-hmm. If I get the name wrong, it was Dustin Hoffman and uh, Red, uh, Redford, All the all the King's Men or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah, all about the Watergate. Men. Yep. About Watergate. Yep. And so I agree. I think there's that element where there's like, in this movie, there's that conspiracy space. And what I want to share with you is that I really appreciate you getting into language about like mm-hmm. what was happening with Black Panther and then what even happens here in They Clone Tyrone, because I think that is an important space where representation is important as well. Mm-hmm. Because if you see African-American and Black characters holding each other accountable as well as other Mm -hmm. identities and cultures as well, then we get out of this pointing the finger of who's right, who's wrong. Mm -hmm. Black Panther uses right versus wrong because we're dealing with heroes and villains. So there's a different level of mythology there. Especially with superheroes. Right. But Mm -hmm. But I think what ends up happening is Yes, he's holding his ancestors accountable for the decisions they've made that mm-hmm. have produced, you know, a lot of stuff, not even just Killmonger, a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that happens here as well. And, and they clone Tyrone where when they get to what's really going on here and then Kiefer Sutherland does give them that, you know, that I love that the Star Wars crawl of it. We realize that there's a lot of accountability issues here. There's layers of accountability. 
even at mm. that level, he talks about someone who he is the boss. I mean, you know, the employer accountable to. So there's even another, yeah, you know, accountable to. So there's even another layer here that at that moment, as the audience and as the characters, they're like, well, how deep does this go? How far does this go? And then at that point, where does it end? And I think for me, without spoiling the ending, that's something that I appreciate this movie did too. It doesn't say we found the top of the accountability. Here it is. This is the top of it. We've, we won. It says, well, we got to this layer. Now let's mm. look at what they did here. And you're mm-hmm. like, okay, <laughs> right? There's and so much more to discuss now. As well as, without again giving out the, that spoiler, right. the source right. of it and the decision, which again, which ideally came out of that intent of love but how love mm. got twisted. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yes, yes. His his love, right, for his family, his mm. the grief, even the grief, right, mm-hmm. which I think when we look at uh, Vision's, Vision's uh, quote from WandaVision, mm. you know, what is grief but love persevering, right? And so mm-hmm. when you think about what that person's mission was, that grief, right? Um, and as therapists, if we get into the therapist piece of it, how that grief is traumatic because it came from such a traumatic experience with the character and his 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 sibling and then mm-hmm. that trauma leading into the grief that led into the ultimate decision right and i think as we look at that i appreciate that story being told from a black male perspective that this black male has that level of vulnerability mm-hmm. that that level of depth that all of that intertwined for him to make him decide this is what I should do. I, I should do this. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a level of humanity that I think we do need to see in black and African-American characters, not just that they're archetypes, right? They're just the X or the Y or the Z, but that mm-hmm. underneath that archetype, there's a lot of trauma and grief and healing that led to this. I've got to show up this way now in my neighborhood or in my, you know, my community. And I mm. love that that gets told actually through each of them. Oh, yes, definitely. And again, we're not giving out spoilers because we're not going to give away the end. Just how much our, let's call it the big bad of this story, yes. um, who in his both love and his grief basically took away other people's agency as well, which is also synonymous in the um, the conspiracy that's at play Mm. and their goal in this storyline which yeah even when we have seen this in history you know some people still don't accept what they wanted to want to do or that idea that somehow they are like everybody else yeah 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 and i think there's that idea of who are we trying to be right so we're Mm. moving from x to 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 i mean from a to z but what's that measuring tape Mm -hmm. what what are we doing here and so i think this movie says well there's one type of grief here that when you find that you can't beat them you got to join them right so Mm -hmm. if you use that type of grief i think that's something that should be explored that for our big bad is this idea of well if you can't beat them join them right Mm -hmm. or if you can't fight back infiltrate Right. And so I think there, um, if I can talk about it without giving away too much of it, I think Jordan Peele talked about it with Get Out in the second place, mm-hmm. right? That oftentimes you end up just blending in to survive 
because that's all you can do. I think they cloned Tyrone, gave us another version of that narrative that we don't just blend in to survive. We blend in because after you kill us, after you silence us, after you lie and hurt us and throw us in jail, you learn if you just blend in, you'll be safer. (laughs) If you just be quiet, you'll be safer. Right. Which when we're talking also with our clients, how often do we find that was the survival mechanism that was done as kids that stuck around into adulthood and is still causing them problems. That, that, right. And I think that that message is all not just in get out. I think it's also in us and in its own way in Nope as well. I agree with you. I think, I think he definitely has that uh, thread uh, in his, his work that as black people, as African-American people, we tend to have to survive bonding mm. in, right? Mm. And the horror of that, right? How scary that is to not know which version, like if you look at us, I mean, there's a lot of issues with us and I won't get too far, but I think they mm-hmm. phone Tyrone and us have some similarities mm-hmm. in that, mm-hmm. that you get to see these other versions of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And so in us, we're looking at this version of yourself that was maybe an experiment or didn't get to come out into the world, right? And so what do I look like as being in the world? And what do I look like as a detached experiment, Right. And well, also, get... yeah. Well, on those line, I would probably also say is that aspect of it's also the message because I'm now thinking about the one of the original Star Trek episodes, um, in the standpoint of logic and figures versus emotion. Mm. And that's one of the things Go with there. us Go is, there. yeah, the, the thing with us is those the characters we're, we're following are representing all the logic and supposed emotion and battling essentially their emotional selves and especially the unrestrained shall we some would say darker emotions that each of these characters each of those characters that movie represents yeah and i love that because i think that is something that's really blatant that you can see right that you have the characters that can talk and fight back but you also have the characters that are emotional and they Mm. are fighting back they might not have the words they might just grunt, but they are also fighting for a space as well, right? Mm-hmm. And so I love that because that is also what happens in They Clone Tyrone, that like these clones don't know that they're clones. They are waking up every day as themselves, thinking that this is who they are, right? Until all three of them realize something's going on. That's that that <laughs> moment right. for them. But remember, one of them is actually not a clone. Ah, yes, I do remember. Yep. Yes. Yes. Yep. So again, now the question, oh, I think we've probably already since kind of gives some clothes away who are clones and who aren't. But that also that standpoint, if you know that the clones don't wake up knowing anything about who they are, they when they do show up by the end of the movie, they're just wandering around, looking around, they're unable to speak. Which is when right. we get the signature moment in the name of the movie, but they've essentially yeah. got to get programmed with all the mm. memories, speech, language as well. So there's definitely also this element about education too. And programming, because if we go into a lot of what we learn about brain spotting is that that's what happens with trauma and our lived experiences that we get programmed to believe certain things and act in certain ways, right? And so when we do brain spotting, that's we're deprogramming a sense. We're mm-hmm. helping someone get out of those cycles, those narratives, those just replaying the same old stuff 
brain spotting allows them to kind of break out of that and see what's on the other side of that narrative, what's over here. I feel like that's what happened, what you're talking about in, in They Clone Tyrone, that as mm. they wake up the clones, they put them in this you know thing where they program them so they know mm. whatever they're supposed to know, and then they put them boop, right back into society, right, and, to do exactly as they're supposed to do. <laughs> and one of the continual themes we saw and examples of that is what him startling awake after every time he's been replaced. Mm. And trying to orient himself to where they're in, where they are. Yes. 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 And so thinking about that, right. And holding that. And then I do want to kind of talk about who wasn't mm -hmm. a clone. Right. And so thinking about the black girl, right. And mm -hmm. how even in um, Keeper Sutherland's discussion of how disposable she is and how like, we don't even care. We don't even have to clone you. We just find somebody mm -hmm. else. It'll just work. You just plug in another girl. It never mm -hmm. matters. Uh, same thing happens in Black Panther, where Killmonger's female friend is disposable, right? Mm -hmm. um, it happens, I feel like, uh, Lovecraft Country, right? That the mm -hmm. young lady has a whole trajectory, a whole, you know, journey that no one even knows that she's gone on. She literally is just kind of that that discussion of the invisible Black girl or the mm -hmm. disposable Black woman, right? And I think that's something that Yo-Yo's character really embodies, right? She's there. She's supportive. She has all the smarts, right? Mm -hmm. She has all the, the, you know, ability, but she's stuck kind of in this space, being this person, playing this character over and over again, but she's not cloned. She's mm -hmm. just playing it. <laughs> That's just mm -hmm. like her thing that she's doing. But even then, too, when we see that uh, piece of her, um, her childhood bedroom, and we see all those Nancy Drew books, and, all, and yeah, everything yeah well and her medals and everything that she has achieved even in light of that the response that i think was jamie fox's character basically still tearing her down yeah yeah like oh you read all these and what's all what's all this stuff and, mm -hmm. and it's a very i'll say this you know vulnerably it was very beautiful for me to see a dark-skinned african-american black woman living her living this life being represented this way because mm -hmm. that was me as a teenager i lived with maybe not all the medals because i didn't try out for a lot of stuff but i had all the harry potter books you know mm -hmm. so i was reading all of those things you know and dreaming of a life outside of where i was i grew up in south central la and you know in the 90s and early 2000s that was a hard time it was a really difficult mm -hmm. time for that that part of town or that part of our, our, our world. And so watching Yo-Yo's character and having that be her narrative where it's like, yeah, I have all these aspirations, these goals, I have all these talents. What's keeping me here? Right? What, what, why don't I leave? And I think that goes into the narrative of kind of the strong black woman, the black woman as the caretaker of her community, the, the, the black woman being there to be the savior, whether mm -hmm. she wants to or not. And mm -hmm. I love that her character kind of just gets to be in that space. We don't discuss, is it right? Is it wrong? The characters continue to talk to her about it. But I love that as she gets to her crescendo and her character, she does realize who she is. She realizes that she projects a lot on the Jamie Foxx character. She realizes that she does want to be here and she does want to help her community. And that is why she's here. Not because she's stuck so to speak, but because mm -hmm. she wants to be here, right? When they break everybody out, she's like, yeah, 
Let's go to the next town. Let's try to help other people, right? And so Mm -hmm. if you think about it, even though the narrative oftentimes for the Black female character is that, oh, she's stuck. I love that 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 discussion got to be that, no, she's not stuck here. She has a lot of goals and a lot of skills and a lot of strength that she could also use in her community to help build her community up. And it's okay if that's her choice to do that. It's okay Mm -hmm. if she wants to use those abilities to lead and do other things, but it's also okay that I also want to use all that knowledge to support my community and help my community and build my community. And I just kind of love Yo-Yo's character arc. And the same lines, I'd also point out the uh, there's also a commentary about intelligence mm. in our community, but it, and she's the one who started actually paying attention to some of the pattern more so than the other two. And even though, yeah, she was reading the Nancy Drew books, which, yes, is usually about a little white girl who has so much more, who has certain social standards that are not holding yes. her back. yes that sense of what does it mean for us to respect intelligence? Yes. And intelligence is not a negative thing, but again, it's part of, I think, going back into our messages about accountability. I love that. I love that too. And that she, as she began to use what she knew in those books, it Mm -hmm. helped them to actually dig deeper, right? And I even loved her space of when it got past what she knew. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, I'm at the level of we're past a Nancy Drew book. Right. She was even able to show that vulnerability too. Like, okay, we are at this level of I thought I knew what was going on, but we are past that. <laughs> I love mm-hmm. that too, because that's a level of intelligence we don't often highlight. The level of intelligence where we actually know our limit and we know that I know things up until this point. Now I'm open to uncertainty. Right. Mm-hmm. So right now I'm just like, okay, what's next? And so I love, again, going back to her. Her, her character arc, I love that she got to portray or be representative of so many of these character tropes of the smart Black girl who thinks she knows everything. Well, she also got to a place where she didn't know something and was okay to be vulnerable enough to say, I don't. Or mm-hmm. like you said, you know, do we always respect intelligence? Well, we love people who know stuff, but are we good with people who can say, I don't know this. This is my limit here. I've gotten mm-hmm. to the end of it. <laughs> when I understand. Mm-hmm. And so I love that that got shown too, like you said, on that level of intelligence, those different levels of how do we measure intelligence? How do we pay attention to it as well? Very much so. And, you know, I think that's a perfect place for us to take a break. So stay tuned for the second half of here as we there are blurred out here on Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist here with Mercedes Salmedio, licensed social worker. We'll be back shortly, folks. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Our lives and the world around us can get messy and frustrating. Untangle and Grow Counseling's focus is to untangle that mess and make sense of it so you have a good foundation to build and grow from. Visit us on the web at untangleandgrowcounseling.com. Perry Clark offers individual psychotherapy, couples and family therapy, and adolescence therapy from a variety of coping materials and resources. Visit untangleandgrowcounseling.com for more information. 
Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You are listening to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. If you have a question or comment about our podcast, send an email to pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. That's pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. And now, back to the program. Hello, all. Welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist, here with Mercedes Samudu, licensed social worker. And we're having another of our Thera blurting out as we talk about the movie They Clone Tyrone. So I know we've sort of been dancing a bit on, on this, and I know we're trying not to give spoilers because we do want you to actually go and watch this and see some of the commentary that's going there, not to mention just some of the scariness that comes up, too, in what we're seeing with the conspiracy how that conspiracy is working and the effects it's having on people's emotions and beings. So there's the scene in the booty parlor. There's the scene in the church. There's a scene in the under scenes in the underground labs, not to mention the, um, the restaurant as well. Yes. Yes. All of them are various expressions of how people are trying to deal with emotions as well. And how that also ties into trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And I think all of those spaces, again, also are stereotypical spaces of Black and African-American people. Right. And so you think about, okay, well, they're very spiritual. Well, like you said, yeah, this is an emotional space, a safe space, Mm -hmm. right, to show vulnerability, to show emotion. Right. And so to think about the conspiracy using that safe space. right, Mm -hmm, Which we see very much in there where Greer's character is in his sermon is about obedience, which right. is a very different approach to wearing black sunglasses and seeing what's behind the uh, billboard and they live. Yes. Yes. And I actually appreciated that. I felt like that was very, um, there was a lot of nods to that, even though we didn't have the visual effects. I think we had mm-hmm. a lot of the, the, the audio. audio effects, right? So you hear this in his sermon. Uh, when they go to the club, right, they, they have mm-hmm. different songs, right, that that give you different feelings, right? And they mm-hmm. want you to move this way or do that way. Uh, even the drink, right? When uh, Jamie Foxx mm-hmm. is in the car, he finds that there's like drinks. And so this idea that there are ways to take things that feel safe that feel familiar, that feel like this is part of our culture and to exploit them, there's that. Mm -hmm. But then there's also, like you said, these are ways that oftentimes African-American and Black people 
congregate and do communal things. So we communally fellowship in church. We go to restaurants mm-hmm. and we eat together, right? We go to, out to clubs or mm-hmm. bars and we and we connect and support each other, right? And so to have that conspiracy exploit those spaces, mm-hmm. you kind of start to think, hmm, what does that feel like to have that type of conspiracy happen to you? Not just like, oh, there's the man, but they're in your safe spaces. Mm-hmm. Well, even to what we saw in the beauty parlor, and there is the right. movement uh, for many black spaces, whether it's the beauty parlor or the barber shop, to train uh, them to be better at helping being emotionally supportive as well. And in <laughs> the aspects, because I'm not going to tell you the scene, and I'm not going to say what actually happens in there, because it also ties very well into education, but there is a very critical point where that the woman there is expressing frustration and needs a voice to be heard as opposed to medicated. Mm-hmm. Or silenced even, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that... But in some ways, they're one and yeah. the same. Ooh. In many ways, that they're one and one the same. Just look at the issues we've been... We know with the issue of how over-diagnosed we get with bipolar. Mm-hmm. As opposed to acknowledging the tra- trauma somebody has been through. Medicated. Yeah. And therefore silence it. Yes. Because now you're thinking about something else. You're doing something else. Uh, That reminds me of one of the scenes where they encounter uh, something that makes them start to laugh. So even when they try to talk, they just, they can't, it's uncontrolled. Everything's just funny. Everything's just a joke. Everything's just, you know, jovial. And I even appreciated that, right? Where it's like, yeah, these, these mechanisms in the restaurant, in the lab to get African-Americans, if you are Black people, to think differently, to ignore their frustrations and their emotions, to maybe aspire to other mm-hmm. ideals. Like in the beauty parlor, what, you know, the women are doing certain things, right? And it's like, yeah, so we're aspiring to this at the expense of our emotions, at the expense mm-hmm. of our identity, at the expense of who we are. Mm-hmm. Then the other layer of that is, well, we have to, to survive. And so mm. that piece of it, I think, is the depth of really exploring what racism looks like and what racism does, that even as we assimilate to survive, we're really not surviving. We're, we're literally dying. We're, we're killing off our identity, our culture, our language, right? Who we are, emotions, right? Mm-hmm. And so I just really appreciate that as layered as that discussion is in these scenes at these safe spaces like churches, beauty parlors, restaurants, club, you know, clubs, bars, mm-hmm. we're able to see that, yeah, we can have a discussion on how maybe Black people assimilate too easily and too quickly. But then we can also see that in each of these moments, it was survival. In each of these moments, it was about, well, I have to survive this, this, this moment, right? And mm-hmm. so how can we end racism so that way we don't have to survive and we don't have to continue to assimilate? becomes, mm. for me, the narrative, or at least some of the message there. Well, it, it's definitely one of the messages there, because there's what? also this, yeah, well, and as in any good movie, there's multiple messages. <laughs> yeah. There's, but there's, even with this one, there's so many different levels of what we're dealing with, not just the conspiracy, the questions of identity that come up, what actually makes us who we are, which is one of those big ones when um, Tyrone's character is, and also trying to get support because going back to that scene where they're laughing in the um, restaurant, Jamie Foxx's character is saying, I've never seen you laugh. Or even that standpoint of when they concoct the plan to do the, to, to save 
uh, yo-yo and stop all of this in the town. That's an aspect of where those that relationship is working for working for them, and especially as between two black men. Yes, and then even more how upended the relationship is with uh, John Boyozik's character's mother. Oof. Again, we're not going to give spoilers on that. No, but the mother, because that's yeah. also one of the most significant characters in black communities. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. You just, uh, yeah, I, I completely forgot about the mother character, but I do appreciate what you shared about uh, the characters of John Boyega and John and Jamie Foxx because they are two black character, two black men who again, are, are portraying archetypes, very, very well-known archetypes, but as they grow over the, and again, if you think about how they start, right, I won't give any spoilers, mm-hmm. their relationship does not start amicable at all. It starts off exactly as their archetypes would start their relationship mm-hmm. off. And, and the programming the they're expected. And the programming they're expected to do, they all play their part, kind of like Westworld, right? Like the, mm-hmm. it starts and they're like, okay, here we go. Everybody's playing their part. But then as you get through the conspiracy and they both realize how much they've been playing their parts in their community mm. and with each other, that kind of takes that that uh, bond to another level that I agree. By the time they are able to save Yo-Yo's character, it's a different bond, right? Even mm-hmm. like you said, for him to realize, dude, I've known you my whole life. I've never seen you laugh. I've never seen you smile. Think about that, mm-hmm. that depth of emotion, right, that they're able to have in that moment. That, again, I think we're talking about it more now, but Black men don't often get to share that, that in that dialogue, many Black men might even say, I've been friends with someone for years and I've never seen you cry, or I've never seen you laugh, or I've never seen you even get angry, or I've never, you know, thinking about that and how representative this relationship is of, of relationship healing. So they didn't start off mm-hmm. as healthy, but as the course of them opening up, sharing more, going through this together, there's this bond where they get mm-hmm. to a place of, yeah, let's help each other, let's support, let's get past Mm-hmm. whatever our, our, our programming says we're supposed to hate each other let's get past that right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh and there's one other area that i think definitely should hit while we got time okay. left in it there's also a certain conversation here which i know any of our mixed rates listeners would mm-hmm. also appreciate with, with some certain characters we see in the in the movie they're i mean they're background somewhat background characters but these are also the stories too of what it means to be mixed race and sort of forced to fit, pick a side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like who are you? Are you this? Are you that? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the blackening has a good has fun with that. I don't know if you've seen that one yet, but the blackening has one. a whole. Uh, well, I saw the short skit that it was based off of. Yeah, but yeah, as opposed yeah, to yeah. the movie, the movie I haven't actually seen it. Yeah, but it's that idea that even within Black spaces, sometimes you have to prove your Blackness, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes happens with multiracial people because even if they kind of identify or show up darker or kind of more Black or African-American, people still might question, well, how do you identify, right? How do you, Mm -hmm. where do you stand? And I think that's something that can be really difficult for people because of what it means to stand in multiple identities, right? The privileges that you might get if you look a certain way or have certain Mm -hmm. spaces, the oppression that you also might experience in certain ways. I think this movie doesn't hit on it. Like I said, I think it's too much. All right, we need to thank Mm -hmm. home, Tyrone, two, three, and four. But Mm -hmm. I think they do definitely bring it in a little bit where, yeah, there's this idea of like, 
well, how do how do, is someone black just because they say so, right? Mm-hmm. Or are we going to make them prove it? <laughs> are we going to mm-hmm. make them tell us how they are? Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, yeah, because especially that first scene when they first discover the underground, and it's just like, God. And the guy's got great moves. I will point out that uh, when he's dancing. But then as you start looking at, oh, the guy in the chicken place, the guy at the convenience store, it's like, oh. What do we think here? What are people thinking? I also think it becomes a discussion on who is controlling what. Mm-hmm. what do we, who do we think is controlling what? Because those are just henchmen at lower levels. Mm-hmm. We know who the, the top person is. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that was an interesting thing to say, like, OK, we all think this is who's doing it. But when you look to the top of it, again, not giving it away, there might be someone else who's actually pulling the strings and actually mm-hmm. pressing the buttons. Uh, and I think that even goes down to the mother. Right. Because if you realize how deep this conspiracy goes, the mother is a kind of almost a pacifier. Mm-hmm. Right. No matter how many times he goes to knock on the door. I'm all right. I'm fine. Everything's good. Right. She kind of just becomes this. I, I want to keep going back to Westworld. This kind of, you know, everyone just plays their part. Everyone just mm-hmm. plays their part. Everyone shows up and they say A, and then they say B. And for him, he doesn't even question it ever. Mm-hmm. He, he does it well, he does as he starts to have his emotion. Right. I love that. As his emotional awareness comes in, he starts to question his world a little bit more. Um, but I love that for the most part of the movie, he doesn't question his mother's presence at all. It's mm-hmm. just there as it is. Until he starts to have this emotional. Yeah. And how absent she is. Because, I mean, yeah, yeah, the fact that he's being cloned, but it's like, okay, if that clone doesn't manage to die within a certain number of days, how is it you've never dealt with her not being present other than a voice on the other side of the door? Right. Just knock on the door. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate, that's what I'm saying. I appreciate that journey of, for him, there's no emotional tie into their into he emotion. Once he emotionally awakens, then he wants her to come out of the room, come out, say something mm-hmm. other than what you've been saying, right? Mm-hmm. And I actually appreciate that because as we think about their blurting out, look at what that looks like. He is supposed to be playing the archetype of the black hard drug dealer, mm-hmm. and to watch him have this emotional awakening, even that one scene with the young man when he tells about SpongeBob mm-hmm. um, and Patrick crying. Right. Mm-hmm. And that that's how this young boy has helped him to even see crying. Right. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. SpongeBob and, you know, Patrick are just crying and crying and crying. It was a really great emotional scene for him that then culminates in him being able to have this full emotional waking of where is my mom? Why is she just behind this door? Where come out. Right. Can you just come out? Mm-hmm. He says it several times. Can you just come out? Can you just come out? Because he's having, like I said, that emotional awakening of I want this. Before, I didn't think I needed it. Before, I was so detached from myself and my emotions. I didn't care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm starting to care and worry and wonder, where are you? That mm-hmm. that conclusion, I think, is a really emotionally well-done conclusion. And I actually think John Boyega does a really good job of holding that emotion to the climax, to you get to the, the climax of what that is. Which I would also add is a very interesting commentary, too, on... One of the classic issues that we always hear about is a black woman can't raise a black man. Ah, And yet, I would challenge that if we actually look at history and that aspect of the absence. Yeah, that narratives as well is like, no, there have been a lot of men here who are here stepping up because of the women, because of the mothers. 
And there's also the other flip side is there's a lot of men who have stepped away because of the mother. I agree. I agree. And I think he holds that. And again, I I really want to highlight for those who are thinking about watching it. This movie doesn't tell you what to think. It doesn't say this is the right answer or this is wrong or they shouldn't have done that. I I really love that for representation because oftentimes I think when we see certain people always hold these stories and narratives, we see them as deep, Uh introspective beings. And so now to see Black people have these really deep conversations about what does it mean to want my mom to show up? What does it mean to worry about what part I'm playing in my community? right? Those questions that these characters begin to ask, I just love. And I love that it's being represented through Black people, right? Through people who we often just see as one-dimensional, stereotypical archetypes. They're like pulling back the veil and saying, no, what does it mean to be someone in this community who exists in this way? And I I just really appreciated that. As well as how we handle and talk about grief and recognize just how grief influences the actions we take. So much so, so much so. I agree. Because equally, there's the saying, it's like, oh, you chose to join them. Well, what about turning them into us? Mm-hmm. What have been done Grief. the other way around? Yeah. And fear. Grief and fear. Mm-hmm. Grief and fear, right? So that if you're if someone does something to you, that creates grief, but then you're scared. You never want that to happen again. Mm-hmm. Right? So what does that do? Right? Mm-hmm. So some of the messages that are at play here. But yeah. We- be wrapping up. So where can others find you and talk about the shame through parenting? And so they're not that mother on the other side of the door. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you can look for me pretty much everywhere. Uh, start off with shameproofparenting.com. That's a great space to find me, but you can also Google me, right? Mercedes mm-hmm. Samudio. Um, I'm also on uh, Instagram as Mrs. MRS dot Samudio, my last name. And so anywhere you find me. I love blurting out. I love Thera blurting out. Uh, and so I love to talk to you. <laughs> Follow me. Yeah, I think I know I'm going to be titling these episodes from now on when we do this. <laughs> All righty. So thank you for coming. And uh, I'm sure we'll be at for as soon as we can get the next movie we want to go have a conversation about. Uh, maybe even one that's in the past. So Check out, stay tuned for more here on Untying Knots, Minds and Souls and Tether. I hope you had fun with this one. And I know it wasn't as just pure, just geeking out as us being more therapists because there's so many messages into this. But uh, stay tuned. We'll have more for you coming. And be well, folks. Thank you for tuning in for Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. Be sure to join your host, Perry Clark, for another episode on the podcast coming soon on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.